Blog Talk Radio. church this morning. Amen. Everybody moving slow and quiet too. Amen. Good to see you in church. 
been in somewhere. I didn't think I was going to make it through. But God has always been there, and he's always sent a comfort in the middle of it. Amen. He's a shelter. Praise God. And he'll be that for you, too, in your hour of need. Amen. We have prayer requests this morning? Yes. Sonia, how about you? you? Yeah, you need prayer too. Amen. All right. Miss Joanne, how about you? Okay. She's okay. All right. We'll pray for you anyway. How about that? Anybody else this morning need prayers? Prayer requests? Remember Scott in prayer? Lift them up in prayer. Uh, anybody else? Pray for Donnie and their family. I don't know where they're at this morning. Pray for uh, Brianna and them. They said they had a plat this morning. They were going to try to get here, but not. They'd be watching. But pray for them. Um, who else am I missing? And pray for Luis. I'm not sure where, what, what's going on with Luis. I know he went to Atlanta, I think, a while back. But uh, pray for him. Um, I do want to mention, again, I, because I think we all know, but Wednesday night we'll be eating here at the church at, at 7. Amen. And uh, we have we don't have plenty of food. I guarantee you, you'll get full. You won't know what to do with yourself. You're gonna get so much food to eat. But anyway, uh, I guess just remind everybody. Amen. That's the main thing is remind everybody because we don't want to have we don't want to have half of it left over. So we want to make sure we got plenty of people here. So invite, invite, invite. We'll have a good service. We really will. Y'all will enjoy it. We'll have a good time in the Lord. It'll be a blessing all the way around. But uh, please be in, be in prayer that, that we have a good crowd that night. Also, we need to remember to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our world. We need to pray for, for the nation of Israel. We need to pray for the situation in the Middle East that does not seem to get any better day by day, but yet gets worse. So, And we keep I keep hearing things about sleeper cells in our own country and them waiting for the time to give a signal to release chaos in our own country. The nation. I know it won't happen on the streets of Clarksville, Texas, but if it happens on the street of one city in America, that's one city too many. So pray that God keeps our nation safe, um, keep, keeps churches safe, because when those times come, they're going to target. They're going to have religious targets when those when those when that time comes. They're going to target churches and 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 synagogues and things of that nature. So please be in prayer for that matter. Um, Anything else? Okay. How many of you got unspokens? Okay. I got some too. We all got them. Amen. God knows every one of them. That's a thing. Just because we don't want to tell, tell it in front of everybody else don't mean God doesn't know. So let's lift those requests up to God. Let's ask God to uh, to bless and meet us. We got a birthday this morning, anybody? That I don't know about? Okay. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask God to meet with us. Robert, lead us in prayer. Preaching the same rules, and it be 
Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus. 
if you're glad you came, say amen. All right, take your Bible. Turn with me to Galatians this morning. Galatians, our series in Galatians, we have made it to chapter 2. And this, the title, I've never told you the title of this series. The last one was the, was a carnal church. The first Corinthians was a, a carnal church. But, but the, the title of the book of Galatians is, uh, in this series is Kept by Grace. Kept by Grace. I started to call it free from the law. It don't matter what I call it. Y'all don't know anyway. It's on my screen. But I, but I remind myself. That's the reason I put a title on it. I remind myself the theme of the book is that we are not saved by the law. We are kept by God's grace. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm glad somebody agreed with me on that. All right. Take your Bible. Turn there. Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to look at five verses this morning. So you won't have a lot to focus on, but we're going to focus intently on what we do have to focus on this morning. And uh, you pray for me this morning. You pray that God will use me and God will help me because I want to be a help to you. All right? So let's go ahead and read. We're going to read chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to get into the message. All right? So, again, let's remember where we're at. Paul is writing. He's writing to the churches, churches of Galatia. And he's writing, remember we started out, he talked about, uh, he talk, he condemned salvation by works, that there is not another gospel, amen? And anybody who preaches one, he said, they let him be accursed, amen? And again, he didn't go and seek out other people when he sought, when, when God called him into this gospel ministry. He went to the Lord Jesus Christ, he got along with Jesus, amen? And when you want to learn something from God, I can assure you, if you'll go and get along with God, you'll do yourself a greater service than if you ask five people what they think. Amen? Get along with God. That's what Paul did. Use his example. Amen? He said, follow me as I follow Christ. So let's get into the book this morning. Let's read verses 1 through 5, chapter 2. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I, and I went by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or have run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And may the Lord add his blessing this morning to the reading of his word. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you and we're thankful, Lord, thankful to the truth, thankful, Lord, that we are possessors of the truth, thankful, Lord, that the Holy Spirit of God that lives within our, our spirits confirms in us that this Bible that we hold in our hands, this Bible that we have in our laps, is God's holy written word. And, Lord, we're thankful, thankful that we have the word of God and the spirit of God to guide us into all truth. And, Lord, I pray this morning that you would put your hand on me, put your, your anointing on me, your unction on me, and use me this morning. Lord, rise, let me rise above the way I feel this morning and let me preach with power Lord God, I beg you please to magnify the name of Jesus, to give glory to salvation by grace through faith and nothing else. 
Lord God, I want to magnify the Lord this morning. Please help me to do that, and I'll give you all the praise and the glory for all of it. And, Lord, when it's all said and done, Lord, move upon the hearts of your people. Lord, stir in our hearts. Change old prejudices and attitudes in us. Lord God, give us clear vision of this, the immediacy, the urgency of the hour to share the message of salvation before it's eternally and everlasting too late. Father, help me now to preach. Help them to receive it, and we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All right. I'm sorry, Galatians 2, beginning there in verse 1, he said, Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me. So we know that after three years, after three years after the Damascus Road encounter where Jesus spoke to Paul, uh, spoke to Saul, and and his name became Paul, he renamed him Paul, there was three years that took place before he went up to Jerusalem to see anybody, okay? He's gone on a missionary journey before this takes place. He's gone. He's been preaching. He's been he's been in church after church after church. He's been preaching the truth. He's faced opposition. He's had all kinds of things happen. He's not a newbie. He's not a beginner. He's been doing this a while. He's just not communicated a lot with the church at Jerusalem. And that's what we're going to see happening this morning is that he's going to Jerusalem to talk with them up there at that church. Okay? And he said he went there. He went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas. So Barnabas goes with him. This is, again, after their journey. And he took Titus with him also. All right? So 14 years after that first journey up there, he's going back. All right? Now, he said, this, he said I went up to Jerusalem, and it, it refers more than likely, I can't say with 100% certainty, but I can say with 99.9, that this refers to the events that are taking place during the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. So if you would, I would encourage you to turn over now in your Bible to Acts chapter 15 and put a marker, your finger, a pen, something there. Acts chapter 15, I'm going to do the same thing with mine. I didn't put a marker there previously, but I will now. Acts chapter 15, and and we're going to be referencing that here in just a second. Actually, we're going to reference it right now, so I hope you found it. Okay? Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. All right, it said, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. So this had happened. People had come from from Judea, and they went to where Paul was at and teaching the brethren that he had led to Christ these people, these Jews, came in, in the, again, right in the middle of Paul's ministry that God had called him to, and began, and began saying, essentially, that man is a liar. You can't trust Paul. He's telling you something that's not true. In order for you to be saved, it's not that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You, All you males, you've got to be circumcised. And ain't never one of them been circumcised. They were Gentile Unwashed heathens. They were. I mean, they, they didn't know nothing about circumcision. That's something God gave to Moses, 
amen, way back in the Old Testament. They had never heard of no such. And so now you got these people coming in saying, you've got to have surgery. I know you're a grown man. you got to have surgery. You're going to be saved. Think about that. Now look at verse 5. Verse 5 of, of Acts chapter 15. Okay? Get back over there. Turn the page. Acts chapter 5. I mean, Acts chapter 15, verse 5. All right? And it says, There rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So hold on. Not, not only... Would all the males have to go in and have surgery in order to be saved? But all of the, all of the people there, regardless whether you're male or female, you had to all now start to keep the law of Moses, which meant, I mean, you had you had to keep you had to keep everything and, and do everything just perfect. You had to go in and sacrifices and all this thing, make sure you stayed cleansed and everything was made atonement for. You had to do everything according to the law of Moses, which is all the offerings and make sure you're kept from this, that, and the other. All those things, they began to teach that to Paul's converts. It chapped him a little bit. Don't you imagine? If he's been called a liar and they're trying to steal his converts and turn them away from the truth. Again, what did he say? They preached another gospel which is not another. And Paul said about them, they can all burn in hell as far as I'm concerned because they're lying to God's people. They're telling a lie. Let them be accursed, he said. Somebody might say, well, that's a little strong language. Well, when it comes to a man's, when a, a man's eternal soul, whether or not that person is going to spend forever in heaven with God and the rest of the saints in glory in, in a perfect relationship forever and ever and ever versus burning in a lake of fire that God never created for man. He created for the devil and his angels. But when men reject God's way of salvation, there is no other place to go, and they spend eternity in that lake of fire burning in punishment for rejecting God's free gift of salvation and for someone to try to to turn someone from that free gift of salvation to the pit of hell, Paul said, no, fella, you can go to hell. Amen? And he was right to say so. You want to lead them to hell? Why don't you go? So the Jerusalem Council looked at this teaching. And, and they, they believe the law of Moses and circumcision might be necessary for salvation. And, and, and so Peter presents his case, which is summed up here. And look at Acts chapter 15, verse 8. Okay? Acts chapter 15 and verse 8. All right? So, so we'll, we'll look, start verse 7. And Peter, and when there had been much disputing, so they were arguing back and forth about it, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that it is that a good while ago God made a choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now, what's he speaking of? He's talking about when when he went down to Cornelius' house. He was in Joppa, and, you know, God gave him the vision with the sheep let down and all that, with all the, all the animals in it that were unclean. He said, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And what did he do? He went over, and he went, he went, he went over to Cornelius' house, and he witnessed, he, he preached the gospel to a bunch of Gentiles, him and a bunch of Italian soldiers who, who were no more Jew than a man in the moon. 
And Paul went to him, why? Because God told him to. So he's telling them, y'all remember how God sent me to some people who weren't Jews. Okay? All right? So, he said, he said, all right, he said, God made a choice that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the which knoweth the hearts, and God knows your heart. Believe me, man don't know your heart, but God does. Bear them witness. In other words, God agreed, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. What what are you doing? He put the Holy Spirit of God in them. You know what that makes them? A born-again child of God. God doesn't put the Holy Ghost into somebody who's not saved. He does not... Hey, listen, why does he put the Holy Ghost into somebody? Because that's the earnest of your salvation. That's proof that you're his. The Holy Spirit don't live in a lost person. He can't. Amen? Because there's no residence. The Holy Spirit brings the spirit of a man to life when he gets saved, and he lives in that spirit. All right. So Paul and Barnabas, they present their case. Look at verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So again, they got up and talked about it. Who are they talking to? Are they talking to Gentiles or are they talking to Jews? They're talking to Jews, right? So what does he tell them? He tells them all the wonders and the miracles. Why? Because what the Jews require, they require a sign. Amen? So how do they know God's at work? With a sign and a wonder. And that's exactly what they brought out to them. They said, look, God has been doing miraculous things. He's been doing wonderful, miracle, miraculous things in our midst. So God, so Paul and Barnabas present their case. And it's also obvious from Galatians 2.2 2, that, that Paul also met with some of them in private. And I assume it was to privately discuss this matter and share the gospel that he had been proclaiming with them in depth. Now, what is that gospel? It's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, but it's how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose from the grave according to the Scriptures. That's Paul's gospel. Amen? And why is that different? Again, let's remember, before... Before Christ died in the Gospels, what is what are they pointing everybody to? That He is the Son of God. Christ is the Son of God. What is what were they teaching at that point? He's your Messiah. He is the one who was prophesied would come. Again, they're not talking to a Gentile church looking back on something. They're talking about He's come and He was rejected and He died. And because He died, He. He knew he was coming to die. He knew they would reject him. Amen. They, he told them to believe on him. He knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to be the risen Savior. He told everybody to believe on him, but they couldn't see that far. Amen. They believed he was the Messiah. When he died, they went, what happened? We don't understand. And then he revealed to them why it happened. And they understood. And they believed. They believed that too. Amen. Listen, they were saved before he died because they believed on him. Amen? They believed he was the Messiah. Amen? When us Gentiles, listen, when we read the Word of God, we, we know from the Word of God he's the Son of God. It says so, it proclaims so. We believe it by reading the Word of God. The Spirit of God confirms that in our heart 
And we know he's the son of God, but we look and we see what he did for us. He died for our sins. He was buried, but he didn't stay buried. He rose from the grave. He's triumphant over death. He, he, he took captivity captive. He bore our sins. He paid the debt. And we look back and we see that, and we believe and we trust that he is God's son. He did that for us. We believe on what he did. Amen. They believed on, Jews, again, believed on who he was before he died. We look back and we say, hey, we believe on what, what he did. Amen. And he couldn't have done that if he wasn't who he said he was. Amen. So, <clears throat> again, so the result of this council, after they proclaimed, after he talked to them and, and it was all said and done, the result of it, we see it in verse 19. Let me get over there and look at it. All right. In verse 19, wherefore my sentence is, all right, here's my final verdict, that we trouble them not, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. In other words, we don't try to get them. Uh, Go ahead and look at verse 20. He said, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols. Why? Because they were idolaters. So come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. All right. And what else? And from fornication. They had gone to a temple where fornication was promoted. He said, come out from that life. Don't do that anymore. Keep from yourself from that. And from things strangled. Why? Because, again, they, and from blood. Why? Because they ate and drank blood. They thought that, that was a part of their, their religious practices. Again, they thought, and again, you, you, see, you see cultures now that eat, they eat blood sausage. They, I, don't, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in, 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 in drinking and taking the blood like it. God said don't do it. So I'm not going to do it, amen? Do I think it will send me to hell? No. But do I think it, that God wants me to do it? And will God be pleased with me if I do it? No. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to dishonor God. Amen? So, again, that's all he told them. Now, you say, well, is that it? No. We got an apostle named Paul. And he gave us the rest of it. Amen? But as far as what they said, that's all you got to worry about. Hey, you don't worry about following all the Jewish laws and all that stuff. You're free. If Christ has made you free, you're free indeed. Amen. We're not under bondage of the law, praise God. So let's keep going. Amen. Verse 2. Paul said, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel, that I, which I preach among Gentiles, but privately to them which were in reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. He said, I went up by revelation. What in the world did that mean? Sounds kind of odd. You know, I went up by revelation. Like he, I took a bus. I took a plane. Well, I went up by revelation. What does that mean? Honestly, it means he's giving you the reason he went. He's telling you why he went. By is the reason he went. He went to speak to them on the grounds of the revelation that Christ had given him. Because of what Christ had taught him, he said, I need to go and tell these people what Christ has told me. I need to go reveal to them. What did what did what is the book of Revelation about? It's about when Christ revealed things to John. And Christ revealed things to Paul, and Paul's going to share it. Okay? So I went up by revelation and I communicated unto them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. In other words, what I just shared with you, that it that now I'm look we're looking back and we're seeing what he's done, and by believing on that, that's where salvation occurs. So I went to tell them that. Those who were of reputation namely Peter, James, and John. And remember that Paul is also there defending his apostleship because he's been, he's been criticized and attacked and everything else. And during this trip, he's dealing with his stand on circumcision. 
he's dealing with his stand against legalism. So, uh, again, these are the reasons why he's going. You know, Paul had no doubt in his mind that he was preaching the truth. I mean, he, there's no reason for him to doubt. He got it from Jesus himself. So he's, he's firmly secure in what he's saying. Amen? And, and it seems like some of Paul's attackers, you know, they, they claim that Peter, James, and John, they're real apostles. Nah, he ain't one. So, again, they're, they're being, he's being attacked. He's being accused. And so these Judaizers, they rejected the gospel that Paul preached as being genuine. They said, that's not true. That's false. You follow that, you're going to hell. Don't follow that. So there are a lot of people trying to figure out what to do here, I'm sure. There are a lot of people in these churches that are questioning, well, well now, wait a minute. I've got to do that, or, or is what he said true? So there's a lot of confusion. So this has got to be cleared up for the church to progress. All right? So so their goal, the Judaizers' goal, their, their goal is to force Gentiles to become Jews before they can be saved. So you go through all these steps, do all these things, and then you can get saved. So you men, all you men got to get circumcised. All y'all got to follow the law of Moses and do everything just the way the Old Testament saints had to do it. So these following few verses, they describe the, the conclusion on this matter that Paul's preaching, gospel that Paul's preaching. And, you know, Paul didn't need their approval. Again, it came, what he got, what he got came directly from Christ. He didn't have to have their approval. But understand, this is the church at Jerusalem. Although they may be wrong on their view of the Gentiles at the moment, that's a pretty influential church. And, again, while, while Paul could say, I don't care what they think up there, I'm going to preach what Christ gave me, I'm going to do what God gave me, he has a reason for going. Because if he goes there and he tells them and they understand and agree, then Paul has the he has the backing of the church in Jerusalem, which which further certifies his ministry, and he can say to anybody who comes against him, Well, go talk to Peter, James, and John, they're behind me. He has that approval and that's what he's that's why he's seeking it, to hush the mouths of the naysayers. Okay? So again, but he wanted to meet with those guys. He wanted to make sure they agreed and were going to support him before he went into the full council. And when he went in, in this first meeting, too, again, he didn't go in here uh, and, and, and want everybody who, in Jerusalem that had any questions or uh, problems with Paul to come in and air their grievances and this thing turned into some big three-ring circus. He didn't want that to happen either. He preferred to keep the, small of people, uh, the circle of people small and limited to just the leaders deciding this issue. I mean, this, this is an important matter, and it's worth fighting for. But, but yet Paul realizes there's a right way and there's a wrong way to go about it. And if I go about it the wrong way, it's not going to honor God and it's not going to do any good. So Paul follows his own teaching. He doesn't, he doesn't charge in rashly with guns blazing. That's, you know, so many times when we get fired up about an issue, that's what we feel like doing. We feel like screaming our head off about it. You know, because we know we're right. We know we're right. You know, how can you come against God? I'm right. God said this. We want to do that on the inside. But most of the time, it's probably not the best way to go about it. Even though you can, again, you can scream the top of your lungs because you're right. <clears throat> but it's the way it comes across. Paul was wise. Paul was cautious. <clears throat> He's appealing to the top, the top Jewish 
early Christian leaders. And he makes sure that he is going to be able to explain his position clearly and without people butting in and screaming over him and shouting him down. So he may, again, he could have done this in the full view of the whole public, but he does it. He does it wisely. So once he has their support, then he can take their support and 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 move on from there into the public arena and say, well, you know, we've come, they they understand now why I'm doing this and they're behind me. So what we can take from this, look here, it, it's important for us to be bold. We all not listen. I know we're 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 Bible calls us sheep. But we're not to be we're, we're to be bold as a lion. We're not to be afraid of the devil. We're not to be afraid of any of his workers. We're not to be afraid of, of those who would come against God and his people. We're to stand and be bold as a lion for the Lord. But it's also very essential that we, we be wise in the way we do it. Because there's a right way and a wrong way to argue for the truth. Okay? Standing for truth it ought to be done with humility. Now, listen, I, I'm not going to apologize for the truth, but I'm also not going to try to drive the truth into you with a sledgehammer. Okay? There's a right way and a wrong way. When you, when you face a situation where you need to speak up for the truth and you need to speak out for the truth, it's best if we stop for just a minute and we pray and say, God, lead me in this. I don't want my flesh to lead me in this. You say, your flesh? Your flesh ain't got nothing to do with God. Your flesh can get involved in anything. Listen, you, you can get in church and your flesh get involved, and you can start, you can start doing all kinds of things in church in your flesh, and God never led you to it. Why? Because you look around and see other people doing stuff. You say, oh, if they're going to worship, well, I'm going to worship too, and God ain't even involved in it. You're just doing it to show other people you can do the same thing they're doing. Be careful your flesh doesn't take over. Paul is, was wise in the way he's dealing with this. Verse 3, he said, But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. What that means is they didn't force him to be circumcised, which leads me to think that maybe there was an idea that they were going to. So Paul wins a victory here. They didn't compel Titus to be circumcised. And you got to understand something. This is a major issue amongst these 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 Judaizers, these who've come to destroy the work of Paul. They they bring that in. Hey, you know they got the Bible. They say, hey, well, Moses did that. Moses, Moses, Moses. They can throw that up anytime they want to and try to present their case. So again, they're trying their best to make this be about works, my friends. They believe that you couldn't be saved unless you were circumcised. They looked at they looked at a at, at a at a and a, a Gentile, a heathen, they said, how could you dare expect to come near God and you've never been circumcised the way God told the children of Israel to be? But circumcision is a work. It, it would be a painful work, but it's a work. It's a work. Now, I know well, in America, babies, uh, probably half the babies, male babies in America get circumcised and they're born, and people don't even know why they do that. They say, oh, it's hygienic, this, that, and the other. This, and it's never anything to do with God. It's never anything to do with religion. It's just a practice they do now in the hospital. It's probably to get more money, if we're going to be quite honest. I'm sure it has something to do with it. But, but the simple fact of it is, it's not required for salvation. Amen? A, person, a man does not have to be circumcised to go to heaven. 
because you know if, if circumcision was required for salvation, then then salvation would at least be partly good works. And because again, you you add anything like that to it, then you're you're adding works to it. You know, and today in this world we live in, we need to realize salvation is. It's not by good works, and I say that most of y'all, you ought to know that, but I say that because you never know who's listening to this little box right here hanging on this on this, on this, this stand. Salvation is not by works. There's so many people in this world, and you, I mean, I know because I've knocked on a lot of doors in my life. I've talked to a lot of people in my life since I've been in the ministry, and when you ask them this simple question, you know, why? Do you know for sure when you die, you're going to heaven? And they say, well, yeah, I think so. You say, well, how come? Well, the answers they give you just blow your mind. I mean, I've had people tell me everything in the world, you know. But, you know, most of them say, but I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I didn't do anything bad. And then you have to take them through and explain to them, no, you've done lots of things bad. You brought, you take them to the commandments. You can show them that they're not a good person. Ain't none of us good. All of us are rotten to the core. Again, if, if and I said this, I said this uh, down at a revival meeting. But if it was some way I could put a video screen up here, and we could play the thoughts that went through your mind for the last twenty four hours. Okay, it's Joanne's turn. We're gonna play her thoughts for the last twenty four hours for everybody to watch. She head out that back door. And I said we're gonna play Roberts. Joanne, come back in, looking looking the back door, and Robert take out. And so on and so forth, and mine too. Everybody, you you clear this place out pretty doggone quick because nobody knows who was up next. Now you know what that bother, that would bother you. I mean, we're laughing about it, but the truth of it is, it would it would not only would it make you angry, it would make you so embarrassed, and you'd be full of shame and guilt, and you wouldn't want to face anybody. Imagine this: every thought of your life is captured, and God has every bit of it. He's got it all. And he knows it all. That ought to scare you to death. Amen. Because you're going to stand before him. And he knows it all. And in spite of that, he still loves you. Isn't that amazing? Because that's how good God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, it's not of good works. And by the way, I don't know of anybody in this world right now, I'm talking about circumcision again, I don't know of anybody in this world outside of an Orthodox Jew that teaches that circumcision is necessary for salvation. And maybe there are some, but if they are, I don't know about them. But I tell you this, one thing is common that gets equated with salvation is baptism. Baptism is basically the New Testament version of the Old Testament circumcision. Again, because what is what is that circumcision? That's identifying yourself with God. That's putting off of the putting off of the flesh. Okay. What is what is baptism? It's identifying yourself with God. It's identifying yourself with the salvation through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. So there's people who teach that that's necessary for salvation, and they try to say, "Hey, wait a minute, preacher, you're just preaching grace, but you're missing that. You're missing it." What are they? They're no more than the Judaizers. They're no different than the Judaizers. And anybody, i got people in my life that I love who preach false doctrine. I love them even though they preach false doctrine. Amen? I hate the fact that they do, and I hate that it'll damn their soul to hell if they go if they leave this world believing it, but they still believe that there's water in the baptistry can wash you clean. There are people who believe that if you don't roll around on the floor and 
speaking some jibber-jabber, you're not going to heaven. And that is not true. That's works. There are people that say, well, if you don't belong to this church and have your preacher, our preacher uh, leads you to Jesus and, and your name is on our roll, then you're not going to heaven. That is not nothing but works. You say, well, Jesus is involved. But, you're, but the salvation is not implied in Jesus so much as in the church. If you think that you've got to go through confirmation to go to heaven, you are going trying to go by works. Anything, I mean, I could probably go around the room and say, anybody else know of any other thing I can do by works to go to heaven? Because there's lots of it. There's lots of false doctrine. The world is full of it. And I know somebody's like, well, how come you keep hammering on this? Well, Paul's hammering on it for two chapters now. I think it's important. God must think it's important. He put it in his word, all through his word. Amen? That there's only one way to heaven. I mean, there's only one way to heaven. Jesus, again, I reiterate, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me, he said, I'm it. I'm the door. I'm the door. Amen? I'm the way, the truth, the light, the door, the light. I'm it. People rely on all kinds of things. Now, if this teaching had gone forward, I want you to understand, if this teaching had been allowed to go forward, if the apostles had said, no, we believe that they ought to go ahead and be able to teach that in your church if they want to, understand the importance of God's grace would have been diminished. There would have been so much confusion in the churches that they would not have relied upon the grace of God, which is God's riches at Christ's expense. It ain't got nothing to do with us. It's all what Christ did. And all that would be taken away, and people would say, well, I got circumcised, and this 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 moil, what do they call them? Moil? I can't remember what they call it. Uh, but anyway, this one did mine. Uh, this one did my bris. This one did my bris. And all that's what they call it in the, cir- the ceremony, the bris. I think it's a moil, the guy that does it. But anyway, but they'd be bragging on which God did it. Amen? They'd be, it'd all be, it's all about pride when you enter works into, into the equation of salvation. People, people get more prideful because we're relying on ourselves and relying on good works. And again, why else would it be bad? Because, devastating because the weight and the burden of the law would be put back on their shoulders. Salvation is free. Absolutely free. And you can't get some people to take it. Imagine if every person had to become a Jew first in order to become a Christian. Who would ever get saved? Can you imagine trying to lead people to Jesus? And saying, hey, listen, all you got to do is start keeping all these rules and all these laws, and, and we'll get you treatment. We're gonna, hey, fellow, we're going to get you set up for your, your uh, uh, operation next week, and after we do that, you get to learn to do everything right. Then we can talk to you about getting saved. They say, give up. I guess I just won't go to heaven. I'm not doing all that. I mean, again, it, it, it would mess everything up. And, and, and many people would have rejected the gospel just because they were unwilling to be circumcised. And because the Old Testament law was too difficult to follow. Now thank God for verses like Romans eleven six. Listen to what it says. It said, and if by grace. Not anything doing you, everything Jesus did. And if by grace, then is it no more of work. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. So, again, if I had... If I could get my hands on some water from the bottom of a deep artesian well that had been capped and 
and nobody knew who it was. Been sitting there for probably 100 years, untouched, reached down 1,000 feet down and draw a big old bucket of crystal clear water, bring it up and get you a big old tall glass. And I mean, got frost and condensation on the side, cold, and say, boy, I know you're thirsty. I'm just going to put one little drop of arsenic in it, just one. You You can't even see it. Just one little drop of arsenic, will you drink it? Why? It's colorless. It's odorless. You can't tell it's there. Deadly, isn't it? So, suddenly that that delicious, refreshing glass of, of perfectly clean, clear water is suddenly deadly. That's what happens when you take Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, and you add works to it. You make something that will save your soul into something that will damn you to hell. Like I said, the devil wants to get you to stop too short or get you to go too far. Because if he can do either of that, he has nullified grace. i got to hurry. I'm almost done, y'all. Verse 4. And that because false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, they might have brought us, bring, that they might bring us into bondage. Okay? False brethren. This is a plot. I want you to understand this is a conspiracy plot that took place in the churches that Paul was preaching in on his first missionary journey. False brethren. I'm talking about Judaizers who came in pretending to have been saved by the grace of God through the mercy and grace of God and believing in grace full and free. They came in under that color that they were saved just like everybody else. And why did they move there and come into that church? They came to spy on Titus. Now, what does that mean? Well, this sounds horrible. Thank God we ain't got no kids in here this morning, but I'm just going to tell you. They had men going into the bathroom with Titus, trying to look and see if he'd been circumcised. That's in the Word of God. You may say, that's horrible. Talk about that. That's in the Bible. God's telling us that happened so that we understand the level that the devil will sink to to try to tear a church apart. He'll send spies into the bathroom. Satan is sneaky. Satan is devious. And he's a, he's a coward, too, because he don't attack head on. Huh? No, he sneaks around and he spies. He, he sends subtle attacks. He'll send false teachers into a church. But they don't identify themselves as a false teacher. I mean, they don't, they don't stand in the pulpit and say, hey, I'm a false teacher and I've come to deceive you today. Hi, y'all. You know? No, they bring it in secretly. It's like, it's like these sleeper cells we're talking about with these Hamas guys. I mean, they, again, and there have been Islamic sleeper cells in America for a long time. Y'all remember Brother Wally Langford to come a few times? He used to live up in Tennessee. This is probably five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago. And he said up there where he lived uh, in Tennessee, right on the other side of the woods where he was living, there was a cell over there, and he could hear them chanting at night. Got Nadu Akbar and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's in Tennessee. Been up there for years. Same thing happens in churches. You get people in there and they and they come in to divide and destroy. 
Uh, they bring in false teaching secretly. They're like a sleeper cell. They observe for a while. They blend in. And then when they think the time is right, they lay their snares and they promote division. And I, I don't think that's happening in our church, but it, it's happened in churches where I've been. I've seen it happen. Had a guy come in going going to help us, our church over in Paris. He tried to tear that thing up. He tried to divide it. He he, he, he did a pretty good job of it. He liked, he liked to really destroy something. He destroyed one family in the process. But, and again, it happened during a time where I was really, I had gone through a tragedy in our, in, in, in our life, and I was at a, a very low point, and boy, the devil sent him in under the color of, I'm going to, this guy's going to help you. No, he liked to done me in. But, we need to stay. We need to stay alert, folks. I tell you, we we've got to. We're living in an age of deception. We're living in, a, in an hour of deception. The devil is not giving up. Matter of fact, he's just gotten bolder. Matter of fact, he's not trying to hide it anymore. He's doing everything out in the open. I mean, there's there's so many cults in this world operating. I mean, so many of them you can't even keep keep up with them. And false teaching is rampant. It's everywhere. And by the way, let me just tell you this: the occult. The occult has moved into modern Christianity. The things that they do on television, on these, uh, uh, let me give you some, this, this Bethel Church and Hillsong and all these these these, uh, these huge charismatic ministries, they have invited the devil right in. They have invited the devil in. They, listen, they, they promote Babylonianism. Uh, they, they, during the Easter service, one of them last year, I was watching on video, they, they got they got this, the queen, they're honoring the queen of heaven. You know who the queen of heaven is? It's in the Old Testament. They're baking cakes to her. Her son's name is Tammuz. It says so in the Bible. That means that's Nimrod's wife, the king of the queen of heaven. And they're honoring her in this, in this church service at Easter. That's not ironic because, again, later on, Semiramis is known as Ishtar, where we get the word Easter. So, again, Christians have not been alert in a lot of places, and the devil has infiltrated. We are, listen, this this old-time, old-fashioned, independent, fundamental Baptist church ought to be one of the last places where he can get a toehold. Amen? But that don't mean we're, we're immune to it. We must be alert, too, because, again, he's not going to give up. We need to continue to diligently study our Bibles, because if we diligently study our Bibles, we can spot false teaching. Don't, don't give up on me. Stay with me on what I'm saying here. Okay, we must diligently stand up and fight against false teaching anywhere we see it. Now, let me say this before we move on from this to the last verse. I have been around people who, and, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, when I, well, let me back up. Before God got a hold of my life, when I was 27 years of age, and I'm almost 55, so it's been a minute. But back then, during that time, I was playing in a rock and roll band with a, with a guitar player who was into witchcraft, okay? He tried to lead me off into that stuff. And because I came so close to the edge of that stuff and saw that was in that world, I wanted to protect other people from it. So after I came out of that and began to serve the Lord, I made sure to 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 well-versed myself on the different cults and things that, and how the devil used it. But I don't, I don't recommend that you make that a course of your study. I don't recommend anybody 
sit and study cults and false leaders. There's a reason why. Because if you do that, you're liable to get sucked into it. Let me explain to you how you fight back against it. You fight back against that stuff the way a bank teller fights back against counterfeit money. Do you know how a bank teller can tell the difference between real money and counterfeit money? Do you think they ship them? Do you think they, the FBI ships banks samples of counterfeit money for them to sit and look at and feel of and, and, and be able to tell what's fake and what's real? You think they show them all the newest tools that the, the counterfeiters use? No. They get used to handling real money. They get so familiar with real money that the moment they handle a counterfeit bill, they say, hey, there's something wrong with this. I don't feel that. Hey, that, that, that don't look right there. Look at what that did. That don't, that don't look right in there. They, they're so used to looking at real money that the counterfeit sticks out like a sore thumb. You say, well, what does that mean to me, preacher? You get in this Bible and you get to know God so closely that when the devil jumps up and tries to act godly to pull you away, you go, that's a lie of the pit of hell. I ain't believing that. I need to get away from that mess, and you ought to get away too. When you understand the truth, you won't be deceived by error. Amen? Lastly, verse 5, Paul said, speaking of these people who had other opinions, to whom we gave place by subjection. In other words, to whom we bowed down to. No, not for an hour. I didn't stand and listen to him a bit. That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. He said, I'm not listening to that stuff. He didn't submit to it, not one single bit. No compromise, none, zero, zilch. I know some people say, well, you're so hard. Not hard. I just believe in right and truth. I don't, I, you know, I I wouldn't let my little girl play with a pit full of rattlesnakes neither. It's not that I hate rattlesnakes. It's just that I love my little girl. I don't like rattlesnakes, but I sure don't want one to hurt my little girl. You said, somebody would say, well, that's, you're not being fair to rattlesnakes. You're not letting your little girl play with them. They might want to play with you. Listen, the devil might want to play with you, but I don't want him around you either. Amen. So I'm going to warn you like I'd warn her. Don't handle a snake. And I'm going to tell you, you don't handle one neither. Amen? Stay away from stuff that's not true. Stay away from stuff that goes against the Word of God. Don't play with it. Don't don't facilitate it. Don't let it have place. Neither give place unto the devil. That's what the Bible says. Amen? <clears throat> so, so Paul's not going to budge. Paul's not going to compromise. He's not going to budge one inch. And, and, and somebody might say, well, why didn't he just let Titus get circumcised? It wouldn't have been that big a deal. He'd have healed up. Everything would have been fine. Everybody would have been happy. But if he'd have gave in here, then the false teachers would have said, well, that's proof. That's proof that, that circumcision is always necessary. If they'd have been able to, to, to pigeonhole him and make him do that there, they'd have said, all right, see there, that, that, that Paul, we're on a, that's, that's a rule now. Everybody's got to do it. And they probably go around telling everybody that Paul required his disciples to be circumcised. And the true gospel would be in danger of forever being tainted by a works-based foundation if that happened. So what do we take away from this? Well, first thing, if you want to compromise, I don't know anybody here wants to compromise, but if you'd like to compromise, I'll give you some areas you can compromise in. We ought to compromise when it comes to our personal preferences on some things. 
or, or when our own convenience is at stake. Let me give you an example. Your family wants to go eat at this and such a place, but you want to go eat over here. You don't have to say, no, y'all are going to eat where I want to eat because I'm the man. I'm going to do it right. Sometimes you can say, hey, we'll go eat where y'all want to eat tonight. That's a compromise. You know, marriage is full of compromises. You have to make them if you're going to get along with somebody. Okay? But when it comes to you and God, you don't compromise. Amen? You know, when it comes to a biblical issue where the Bible is speaking clearly, we don't give because somebody feels a certain way or because our heart feels a certain way or because uh, that's our friend. or we, we don't give on truth. So how do we balance unity amongst Christians without compromising on truth? That's a good question. Because let's be honest. I mean, everybody you know is not a Baptist. Everybody you know not independent Baptist. I'm going to be honest with you. Most of my friends in the ministry are not independent Baptists. Most of them are Southern Baptists. That don't make me a Southern Baptist. There's, a part, there's, there's, there's parts of Southern Baptists I wouldn't have nothing to do with. I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. I don't want no part of no cooperative program. I don't want no part of uh, some of the things and projects they give to. I don't want no part of their phony baloney Bible. I don't want none of that. But there are some men in the ministry in the Southern Baptist churches who are King James, who believe the same doctrines that we believe, who, who we, I can fellowship with, because we get along on everything except some very little non-essentials. Do you know there are probably some 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 Pentecostals I could get along with? if they believe in salvation by grace through faith, because not all of them believe that you've got to speak in tongues to go to heaven. They, they, I mean, I can get along with anybody if we can, we can agree on the essentials of grace. You know? Everybody ain't going to get along. We don't divide over non-essentials. That's what I'm trying to say. Hear what I'm saying. We don't divide over non-essentials. There are times where you have to divide. Titus 3.10 says, a man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. If you try to show them the truth and they reject it twice, God says, get away from them, leave them alone. But notice that, that Paul refused to compromise on a gospel essential issue because the, essential, the, the entire gospel is at stake here. We shouldn't promote strife in the body of Christ neither. I'm not for fighting with other believers. I'm not for fighting with, with, with people who, who may not believe exactly like I believe on everything. And we shouldn't, and nor should we gravitate toward conflict. You know, we shouldn't promote strife. We, we, ought, we ought to try to get along. But we ought not ever sacrifice our biblical conviction on the altar of brotherhood. Let me say that one more time in case you didn't hear it, in case some of here missed it. We should never sacrifice Biblical principles on the altar of brotherhood. Amen? When it comes to whether you and you and I agree over essential doctrine, if we can't agree, then we, we may not be able to fellowship. Because if we can't see eye to eye on how a person gets to heaven, there's no point in us sitting and talking because we're going to do nothing but argue the whole time. And, you know, again, Trying to get along with people who don't agree on everything with you, it's, it's difficult balance to maintain because some people have pet issues they just love to argue about. Some people just enjoy arguing. I've learned that. As long as I've been on Facebook, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I've learned it. I mean, I ain't enjoyed it, but I've learned it uh, uh, because I've sure been in a lot of it. I, I try to back out of them arguments. I don't like sitting there arguing. It's useless to argue with somebody on Facebook. You know, again, people get prideful. 
and they start looking down on others if they disagree with them over their little pet issue. And that's how that's how you get in larger churches. You can't really do it in a small church like this, but you, that's how you get crowds starting. We well, got that crowd over here and that crowd over here. You got this clique. You got this little circle over here, this little camp over here, and they believe this and they don't agree with the preacher and they don't like the way he does this, that, and the other. And, and again, that that happens in bigger churches. And 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 then you got people who prefer an ecumenical view. And I know y'all are ready for me to get done. I'm almost done. And when I say ecumenical, that means these are people they they'll accept. Any doctrine, any view, any position—it doesn't matter. It's all we, they just look at. It, it's, everybody, it's all different colors of things in God's kingdom. But the truth of it is, doctrinal issues are the most important issues of them all. And to these people, doctrinal issues are just not that important to them. So, in in turn, they look down on people who emphasize the importance of doctrine. But because what is doctrine? That is what God taught us. It's what Christ. Showed us, he's what he taught us, is what he left us. That's what we believe. That's the teaching that God has given us. And if we can't look at that and say that's got to be the most important thing that we listen to, then, then what are we doing? I mean, what God has said is the most important thing of all. Psalm 138, verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Listen to this. For thou hast magnified Thy word above all thy name. God said he magnifies this book above his own name. That's how important that doctrine is to God. We can serve God with unity, with other believers, of other viewpoints, if we can cooperate in the areas we do agree on. And when I say that, I mean doctrinal areas. Uh, You take... Dr. John R. Rice, who I know y'all know that name. Y'all know the name Dr. Bob Jones Sr. probably. All right, Bob Jones University, Dr. John R. Rice, Sword of the Lord. Those two men were good friends. Did you know that? You got one of them a Baptist and one of them a Methodist. Bob Jones was a Methodist. All right, they, they, they believed the same when it came to the doctrines of grace, but they differed on baptism. Dr. Rice believed in baptism by immersion. Dr. Bob Jones believed in Franklin. And they used to argue about it fuss at one another, pick at one another, but it was kind-hearted and loving, and lovingly. And, and and Dr. Rice used to say, he'd say, oh, Dr. Jones, don't you know a man ought to be baptized after he gets saved? And Dr. Jones would say, oh, Dr. Rice, I believe a man go to heaven dry clean if he want to. Amen? <laughs> he, he's, he's trying to say, he's saying baptism, well, man, baptism ain't that important. And Dr. Rice saying, well, it's important, but they not, it's not important enough Listen, if you don't get baptized, are you still going to heaven? Okay, so it's not an essential. They can still get along on everything else. And see, if they can cooperate on other things, they can do something for the kingdom of God. But when you run crossways on the doctrine of salvation, you can't do anything together. We need to, we can cooperate with other people. Uh, you know, again, on non-essentials. Brother Grant and I, we didn't agree on, on end-time stuff. But you know what? I love Brother Grant. And because of that, me and him got along famously, had a good time. I, I enjoyed one of his company. We didn't, have to, we didn't have to argue about that constantly. It wasn't that big a deal, amen? Because why? Because when we, when it's all said and done, we're going to heaven. We're going to the same place. We're going to be with the same Jesus, the same heaven. I guarantee you, I get up there, Grant ain't going to say, hey, now let's talk about that issue. Oh, well, it won't matter to you. It won't matter to you. Amen? Because we got there. How? By believing the same way. All right. 
So let's don't make non-essentials requirements for fellowship. If it's a non-essential, it can it can it can it can be it can be off to the side. Cooperate with other believers, like I said, as far as possible without violating your spirit, your scriptural convictions. But if you have to violate your scriptural convictions, then you can't cooperate. Don't compromise, but also be faithful in finding common ground. If you can find common ground with somebody, oftentimes you've done yourself a great service and found a friend, somebody possibly you can even influence and be an influence in their life. But don't let pride find itself behind your convictions. Spurgeon once said, neither be proud of place, face, race, or grace. We got nothing to be proud of, amen? Maybe humility is the most important ingredient for dealing with believers who embrace different doctrines and realize, you know what? You say, man, they're crazy. They're nuts for believing what they believe on that issue. Well, we all just step back and say, well, but for the grace of God, there I'd be. Because you know what? One thing I've learned over the years, everybody's got some fruit, fruit loop doctrine in their back pocket. Everybody's got something. You want, you want to ask me some mine? I can share some of them with you sometime. But anyway, listen, the main thing, is that Christ died for sinners, was buried, and rose from the grave. Amen? If you ain't agree on that, we got a place to start from. It's long enough this morning. I'm going to have her come, and we're going to have a, a song. God's moved on your heart. I want you to come and pray. You come and pray. If not, you stand where you're at and pray. Let's let God speak to our hearts. And you say, well, what, what, what do you reckon we need to let God speak to us about? Well, that's between you and God, but I can tell you this. The day we're living, the hour we're living, standing on these old doctrines that have stood the test of time, it will get more difficult as time passes. This world is going to become more and more unfriendly toward Christianity. And so standing is going to be more difficult. But I urge you, I implore you, don't lose your stand. Amen? God will stand with you. You stand with him. All right. Let's, oh, what song we singing, sister? 157 it is, isn't it? 57. Turn there with me this morning, and let's sing a song of invitation. We're going to go to the Lord in word of prayer, and then we'll sing 157. Father, I just love you. I thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that the truth never changes. Thank you, Lord, that, that because of what Christ has done, we have brothers and sisters all around the world. And Lord God, we pray this morning for those who are who are off into some false doctrine. Lord God, we pray you'd open their eyes. We pray, Father, that you'd help them to see the truth. Lord, they might come out from the wickedness that they caught themselves up in. And Lord, they might come to freedom and be released from that bondage. Lord God, we pray for our, our friends and loved ones who, Lord, who are off into, into, into false teaching. Lord, we pray for them that Lord, you'd recover them out of that. And Lord God, we pray that you'd protect us. Our hearts and minds, Lord, that we never get led astray off into the things that go contrary to your word. Father, we pray you bless the invitation now in Jesus' name. Amen. 157. I we will pray it all.